some of you are laughing way too hard at that video. You reveal your, your, your churchiness, I guess. You, you've done the hand squeeze. We did it this morning in our volunteer circle with the band. We pray before service. And what was funny is some of us had previewed the video prior to service. And so then we said amen, but we're holding hands. And some people decided they weren't going to squeeze just out of spite. And then others of us, we squeezed really hard just to let everybody know we had seen the video. But hey, have you ever thought about prayer? We're starting a new series today called The Prayer. Uh, you know, I'm, even non-religious people pray. I mean, we, we see it in, in the cases of national tragedy or international tragedy. We, we've heard maybe in recent days with the pending, looming, almost military action of some kind in Syria... Um, I've heard what I would consider to be very non-religious people um, really challenge people to pray. You know, we need to pray. We need to pray for the people of Syria. We need to pray for our president and those government leaders who are making those decisions. We, need to, we just need to pray. And, and so I've, I've heard that. I remember after 9-11 um, how many people um, in our society were, were really calling us as a culture, as a society, as a group of people to pray. And, um, and then we come to gatherings like this or we get into religious type settings and we then pray or we are talking about prayer. And so, um, but have you ever really thought about the process of praying? I mean, I wrote down a couple questions that came to me as I was putting this together. But have you, have you thought about who you're praying to? Have you thought about, um, the fa- do you have to close your eyes? Or is it okay not to close your eyes? Because my kids get confused sometimes when we're praying. And we, okay, close your eyes. No, we're not going to start praying until you close your eyes. I don't know if you do that, but sometimes we do. And I think we're warping our children. Um, do you have to be kneeling? Can you be standing up? Can you be praying while driving? If you do that, please don't close your eyes. Um, Can you pray too much? Can you pray too little? Um, What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Are there specific words you have to say or need to say? Should you pray out loud? Is it okay to pray quietly to yourself? I mean, there's a lot of things when we actually talk about prayer. What are the kinds of things you need to do in order to pray or to pray in a way that maybe God hears you or God responds to you? How do we get God's attention when we pray? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to look at prayer and how to pray and what to pray. And we're going to use a passage of scripture that's pretty famous. It's, it's in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. This is most often uh, usually referred to as the Lord's Prayer. So maybe you've heard that. Um, it's really not the Lord's Prayer, even though Jesus gives us these words. He's actually teaching his disciples how to pray. So some people maybe call it the Disciples' Prayer, or the Prayer of the Disciples. But this is in Matthew chapter 6. And it's really a part of a larger sermon. The first sermon that Jesus really preached or that we have recorded is in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on a mount, he's on the side of a mountain, he's uh, preaching to a group of people, to a large group of people, and more and more people continue to come and to hear him teach and preach. And so this is prior to most of the things that we know about Jesus, most of the miracles, most of the other teachings that we have. Um, And so we see some really foundational things that set up the teaching of Jesus that he's going to now proclaim the rest of his life on earth. And so right in the middle of that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right in the middle of that is Matthew chapter 6. And he talks about a lot of great things here. We're going to get into some of those things, coupling those with prayer. But in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, he really turns his attention to the idea and the, and the practice of prayer. And so I want us to read some verses together. We're going to start just looking at verses 5 through 8, and then we'll actually jump into the, the passage that's most often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. 
And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this first part, uh, this first part of this passage in Matthew chapter 6, is that Jesus answers some of the uh, hypothetical questions that I just raised. Now, I knew where we were headed, so I asked some of those, maybe because the, the passage alluded to them, but I think all of those questions are questions that we have either asked or thought at some point, but Jesus was referencing these things because it was a part of their culture. It wasn't just something that you and I ask or you and I face. Jesus was talking to a new group of people who were going to follow after his teachings about the things that would honor and please him. And he references it in a way to kind of put it against the way that some of the religious people of that day were praying. And so we talked a little bit about the Pharisees last week. If you were with us, we talked about these people. But these people were kind of semi, kind of quasi-religious people. They were people who were attempting to keep the law. And in their attempt to keep the law, they then began to try to put the heaviness of the law on other people. But they wanted a place of honor. They wanted a place of standing. And so in the religious community, the Pharisees were people that were highly regarded as very religious. They were law keepers. They were rule keepers. So if you were someone who really admired those who could keep the rules, keep the laws, then you were looking at the Pharisees as someone who who you wanted to kind of be like. You wanted to to follow after their example. And so Jesus here uses them as the example of how not to pray. Because what they were doing, evidently, what we surmise from, from this passage here, is that they were praying in the public courts. They weren't praying in quiet. They were taking prayer, which is a, it's supposed to be a conversation between someone and God, and they were making this conversation public. You ever seen anybody do that? Not necessarily in prayer, but, you know, a private conversation, but they talk loud enough for everybody in the room to hear. Now, maybe it's, you know, something funny, or maybe they want everybody in the room to know that, hey, I, I, got, I got a raise today. You know, I mean, they say it loud enough for everybody at every table around them to hear. Or, you know, so my kid got an A in science yesterday. Something that they want everybody to know, but they want it to be couched in this private conversation between two people. And so what Pharisees would do, what these religious people would do, is they would go out in public. They would stand on the street corner. They would stand in the middle of the synagogue. And instead of praying quietly to God individually by themselves, they would pray very loud prayers so that people would look at them and think, oh, wow, they're talking to God. They're praying. They must be a very religious person. They must be someone who has a relationship with God. And then Jesus walks through and gives us other things. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Because what they would do, and this was a part, and it has been adapted or adopted, I guess, by some other world religions even today, is they would take very short phrases and they would repeat those phrases over and over and over and over and over. It wasn't necessarily a flowing conversation between them and God. It wasn't about making their petitions known to God. It was about trying to find a repetitive formula of phrases or words that they could then repeat over and over and over to get God's attention or to let people know how smart they were. So they would take something, bless you, they would take something that they thought would get people's attention and they would repeat it over and over and over and over. 
And so Jesus is giving some specific things here in this passage that he doesn't want people to do. When they're praying, when they're learning how to pray, they're trying to figure out how to pray. Now remember, all of the people, before Jesus shows up, the context that they have is the law, the Old Testament law, which was about ritual. It was about doing things to earn the favor of God. And so he was trying to show them that you don't have to earn God's favor by the things that you do outwardly. Because remember, we're not talking about going now to the temple and making sacrifice publicly in front of the priest, in front of the other people at the temple or inside the holies there in the, in the open courts. You don't have to do those things. He's saying, listen, if you want to talk to God, you don't have to go to the priest. You don't have to go to the high priest to get God's attention. Go back to your house and you get in your room and you close the door and you talk to God and God can hear you. And I know for even some of us in the room today, that's a new idea. Maybe the way we were raised, our faith background, or maybe what we understand. Maybe you think that you can only talk to God in moments like this, in rooms like this. Or maybe you have to go to someone else to really get them to help you talk to God. And there are definitely uh, specific things where you can go to counseling or you can go and meet with a pastor and you can do things and they can help you kind of work through things. But you have the power and the authority to talk to God all on your own. You don't have to have anybody else to do that work for you. And so Jesus was really changing the game here as it relates to prayer. And so I want us to to look at now the model, the example that Jesus gave to us. Now, remember, Jesus just said you don't have to keep babbling on, repeating the same things. What Jesus gives now in the next few verses is a how-to for prayer. He gives us a framework. He gives us some guidelines. He kind of gives us the box, and he says, however you pray within that foundation, within those guidelines, that's really enough for you to understand how to pray. So we're going to read the Lord's Prayer together, and we're going to work through this passage together in in little bite-sized chunks each week. We're just going to look at the first part today. But we're going to look at this. But I know in some settings, people, they specifically pray the Lord's Prayer, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can pray any part of Scripture. I would actually encourage you, if you're struggling to know what to pray, open your Bible, go to the Psalms, and maybe start there and, re- and read through as a personal prayer some of those psalms as a prayer from you to God. The psalms are incredible. Pastor Justin, who used to be our worship leader and, and speaks here from time to time, he says that you have no excuse not knowing what to pray as long as you have the psalms. And I agree with that because the psalms were really, they were songs or prayers written by these different writers within this book to kind of pour out their heart to God. And so you may see these different psalms that are either lament song, psalms talking about, oh God, what's going on? Things are terrible. They're happening. I can't believe it's happening. And it's almost every single time, either through the, the end of that psalm or through the next psalm that comes and is joined together with that, that they kind of come back to some recovery about how good God is. And I love to read the Psalms of David and I love to read the things where he says, hey, I'm drowning to death. I think Psalm 69 is, he says, I'm drowning. You know, my enemies are coming against me. The water's rising up. It's over my head now and I don't know what's gonna happen, but you, God, are a good God. And so we see this recovery. And so even in times of of sorrow, we see the the bad things that are going on in our lives. We have a, a framework for how to pray. In the good times, we see these praise and rejoicing kind of psalms. Or maybe you can just make those things up on your own. What's in your heart to thank God and praise God for the things that he's done for you. But what Jesus was giving us here is not the prayer that we have to pray every time we talk to God. He was just giving us a guideline, a framework, a how-to, so that we can see that formula. And so we're going to look at some of these things and really over the next few weeks maybe piece together a way that we can pray. But I want us to read the entire Lord's Prayer together today. And this is a continuation of where we were just at. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. That's what Jesus is telling them. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're going to stop right there. Deliver us from the evil one. And so this is the beginning of a framework for how we're going to build prayer over the next few weeks. But today I want us just to jump into the first section of this prayer. That's the line, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Because we want to look at, if we're going to talk about prayer, we want to look at who we're praying to. And the reason that this is important for us, and really today, the bottom line of today, if you don't get anything else, is that when we know who it's to, we know what and how. When we know who it's to, we know what and how. So let's look at this first idea. Our Father in heaven. Right up front, what Jesus shows us is that we are praying to the Father. Now, we're praying to our Father. It's a very personal, intimate phrase. It's a term of endearment. It is used, this phrase, either the word Father... The, the phrase our father or the phrase the father in these 18 or 20 verses here at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, it's used 18 times. So Jesus is trying to make a point that in our interaction with God, in a relationship with God, it is a personal interaction, a personal relationship with a father figure, with a God who is intimately, personally connected to us. Now, That's important. We referenced the law. So we understand that there was a little bit of a disconnect of this idea in the Old Testament and in the context that these people would have as they're listening to Jesus. Because they were listening about a God who was a God of of, of their destruction of their enemies, a God that had helped them in war, and he would continue to do that throughout history. We see all kinds of things. But their relationship with him was really based on their ability to keep the law. He had given the law to them. And then their ability to keep that law and to respond through sacrifice or some other type of ritual to re, you know, kind of re-engage him in some way was something that, that that was how they viewed God. And so now Jesus is saying we're praying to a God, our God, a personal, intimate God. This is a very, very, very personal phrase here that he uses for God. And I think it's very, um, very intentional by Jesus. But the other thing that I think shapes this, not just the Old Testament context of the people that were listening, but you and I today, because everybody in the room had a different relationship with their earthly father. And so when we see that we're praying to our father, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if you equate that at all with your experience with an earthly father or not. Maybe you're, you're, you're able to separate those two and your earthly father was one thing and a heavenly father is another thing. But I think a lot of us, through conversations with some of you and, and hearing stories and listening to people and just the, the commonality of, of humanity, we struggle sometimes to view God as a loving heavenly father because we didn't have a really great loving earthly father. Some of you, maybe you had a father who, who left either of his own accord or through a split with your mother or, or, or some kind of family dynamics there. And so you had an absence of an earthly father figure role in your life. Maybe it was somebody that did play that role, but they weren't your biological father. And so trying to wrap your mind around someone that chose you, but they were filling a void because someone had to leave or chose to leave. Maybe there was abuse in some way. Verbal, physical abuse of some kind. And so you see this father figure, this father in your life who in some way put things on you or in that relationship, added to this dynamic. And now as you pray to your father in heaven, you're trying to figure out how do do I even wrap my, my mind around this idea, this understanding? Because Jesus used the example of earthly fathers throughout the gospels to help us to understand the relationship that we can have with the heavenly father. He talked about earthly fathers giving good gifts to their children. Maybe you never got a gift from an earthly father. 
Maybe you, don't, you didn't have a father or you don't have a father here on earth that really was wanting the best for you, at least from your understanding, your perspective. And so Jesus is giving us this idea that we can pray to and approach a, a, a father God, a heavenly father. And yet some of us have a very broken mentality, a broken idea of what that can look like. In some way, maybe you have a very strained relationship or maybe others of you, you have no problem with that at all because you had a great father. You have a great father here on earth, maybe, and you, you had a great relationship and you know, that father gave you good gifts, loved you, disciplined you, taught you, put, set you up to succeed. And so even then, your context of understanding the God that we pray to, the heavenly father, is even in that context. And I will tell you as a father who I think my kids love me, that I'm flawed. I know I don't get it right. And so if I'm the example, if I'm modeling for my kids what they're going to understand about the heavenly father, oh my goodness, that scares me to death, Right? And so I think for all of us, we have to try our best to look at this somewhat separated while still kind of understanding, somewhat separated from the idea of just the model of earthly father. But Jesus gives to us this example to say, when you're praying, you're praying. When you pray, this is how you should pray. Our father, very personal, very close, very connected. There's an assumption here. That the patterns that we see in earthly fathers can be replicated or duplicated in our understanding for the heavenly father. And so all of these things are serious and they help us to understand. They must, they, we must consider them. Psalm 103 verse 13 says this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, this is not the SAT. So this is not as father shows compassion equals this father loving him. This is not, you know, parallel universe here. It equals, it's the same. It is, don't get scared. Some of you just got into a sweat right there. But as earthly fathers show compassion to their children, so the Lord, equal to that, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so there is... A parallel understanding here. And so I want you to make sure that as we get into this idea of prayer, that whatever preconceived ideas, presuppositions you have about your relationship with your earthly father, good or bad, that it does not shape entirely the way that you pray to your heavenly father. But it's important to know who we're praying to because when we know who it's to, we know what and how. So let's jump back to the first line. Our father in heaven. So we have this closeness of the father, our father, relational, connected, our father. It's in the context of relationship with one another. And then there's a distance in heaven. So close father in heaven, close separation. So when we read this, there is the idea for us to understand that even though we have a connection to, we're relationally connected to, God is approaching us, pulling us close, wanting us to talk to him, wanting to express our fears and doubts, wanting us to present our petitions, which we get into, wanting us to worship and thank as we've done here today. There's also a distance that is, is uh, created here because God is separated from us by his position, not his place, his position. God in heaven, our father in heaven. And so that's important for us because it does allow us to know that God's perspective is different than my perspective. When I'm praying to God the Father, he has a different perspective on the things that I'm facing. I love to call my dad. I have a great dad, so I'm one of those examples that I was talking about earlier. I have a great dad, great relationship with my dad. He's not perfect, and the older I get, you know, I go through phases where I think he's the smartest man ever, and then sometimes he gets on my nerves a little bit. But I love my dad. 
And I love calling my dad to talk to him about the things that I'm going through or the things that I'm facing because he has a different perspective than I do. Not only does he, has he got maybe the experience he's walked that road before, but he's also not right here. He's not, he doesn't live here in Cherokee County. And so when I call him, I can call him and get a fresh set of eyes on my issue. So if I called him, my, my kids played baseball yesterday, our three boys, and then little Miss Kinley just was a trooper and tagged along and was dirtier than the boys when she got home. But Cooper played baseball. It was his first game of kid pitch, and Branson played in his first game of coach pitch, and Tucker played down in kind of the T-ball, modified T-ball league. And, man, they had a blast. We, I don't want to brag, but my boys combined were seven for eight with five runs scored and six defensive outs. But, I mean, it's okay if you're keeping score at home. Um, but let me just say that I was able to call my dad yesterday and talk to him about the experience, right? Because he's not here. He had a different perspective than I did yesterday. I, I can call him and say, hey, I'm facing this. I'm looking at this issue in our, in our personal finances. Or he was in ministry. He still is in ministry. I can call him about things going on in the church or try to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about we're looking for this or we're trying to figure this during our season of transition this summer as we were looking for new staff members. We were kind of talking through that process. I could call him because he had a different perspective. And here's what I love about God in heaven, our Father in heaven. Isaiah tells me that his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts higher than my thoughts. And so what I know is that when I'm talking to my father in heaven, I'm presenting to him a personal need out of the relationship I have with him. But I am seeking wisdom. I'm seeking peace. I'm seeking guidance. I'm seeking understanding from someone who, and I referenced this in a prayer earlier in the service, who was there before I got there. He's there before I get there. We believe that God is omnipresent. And that's a big $2 word that just means we believe that God is ever present it means that he stands outside of time. So where you and I are bound by time, God is not bound by that time. And so he has the ability to see things before I get there. He's there. He can tell Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, who's about to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He can say to them three times in Joshua chapter 1, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid, I'm going with you. He actually gives Joshua these instructions before the people walk into the promised land. He says, listen, get behind the Ark of the Covenant, which is God's presence. He said, get behind the Ark and go into the promised land because you've never been this way before. And I'll lead you. And that's an assurance for me and for you because you don't know what tomorrow holds and neither do I. And so when I'm praying to a God seeking wisdom for tomorrow, I'm praying to a God who's been there, who is there, but who's also going to walk with me there. And that's, that's comforting to me. That's an incredible assurance to me. That I pray to a father. I pray to a God who wants to know me personally, who allows me to speak to him personally. But he has a different perspective than I do. He is outside of time. And so I have the ability to seek the wisdom that he possesses and find rest there. We've gone from this personal opening of our father to this incredible proper perspective about his place in heaven. And then we get into the next part, which is hallowed be your name. I don't know if you use the word hallowed a lot in your normal vocabulary. I don't. I don't just walk around trying to find places to throw it in. So I thought it'd be great for us to define it. Hallowed means to regard or, or, or treat, not tweet. You can tweet it if you want to, but to treat... As holy, 
Hallowed means to regard or treat as holy. So this phrase really means let your name be held in reverence. Our Father in heaven, let your name be held in reverence. Psalm 77 verse 13 says this. Your way, O Lord, is holy. What God, little g, is great like our God, big G. Not a, an arbitrary capitalization, non-capitalization there. What we're talking about is your way, O God, big G, is holy. God Jehovah that we sing to, pray to, acknowledge. What little g God, other gods that are created by other religions or other things within our world, is great like our big G God, personal father God that we pray to. Holiness is another word that we don't use a lot except in usually religious circles. We don't talk a lot about holiness unless we're talking about, I know that the days of, of my family members, my grandparents and even my parents and even me some, we would use the word holiness to talk about things we weren't going to do because we wanted to be holy. Right? There were things that we were going to abstain from in order to maintain our holiness, not really realizing that we couldn't attain holiness except through the work of Jesus Christ. And so there were some things that we abstained from to try to get on the same page with the holiness of God. And so what we see here is that the ways of God are holy. And then who, among all these other gods, among all these other created things, these created beings, these imaginative things that people have kind of conjured up that we can pray to, worship, idolize, what things are as great as our God who is by himself in his very nature holy and pure and right? And so we pray to a God whose very name, whose very nature, whose very being is holy. And so we've kind of walked through here this idea that it's a personal God, our Father, in heaven, different uh, different place, a position there. And then we've acknowledged his holiness. Revelation chapter 4. We don't don't read Revelation a lot because it's very confusing. We don't like to talk about it because we're afraid people will ask us what it means and we don't know. And so Revelation chapter 4. Revelation is is a revelation from John. John is, is a guy in the Bible. He, he wrote uh, some, some, some passages that you're very familiar with. But John is a guy who gets this revelation. And then he catalogs that revelation in the book of, fittingly, Revelation. And so Revelation chapter 4 says this. Okay, we're going to read a little bit about the holiness of God here. And some of this is going to freak you out. And that's okay. And the four living creatures. Are you freaked out yet? Okay. Each of them with six wings. If you weren't, you are now. Okay. Are full of eyes all around and within. And now some of you are getting your stuff together to walk out. And day and night they never cease to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. I'm going to read it one more time. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, here's what you don't have to figure out about that passage. You don't have to know what the four living creatures are. You don't know why they have to have six wings. You don't have to know what the eyes are. Here's what you have to know. This was a revelation given to John, we believe by God, about the things that are yet to come. And in that context, there is a moment... Where we see, we get a glimpse that a part of the future 
is that somebody, somewhere, something, or a lot of things, or some people acknowledge the holiness of God, and they do it this way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, there's a lot in that one little phrase right there, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you've heard it sung, maybe you've heard it prayed, maybe you've heard it said or preached. But here's what that phrase shows us. It reveals to us a couple of things about God. It reveals to us God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It reveals to us his might, his strength, his power. Who was before, who is now, who is to come. So we see the holiness of God. We see the might and the power of God. And we see the timelessness of God. Which are all things that I want to know about God. I want to know about God's purity, his holiness, the things that set God apart from the other little g gods that we've created in our culture. I want to know what separates him, what sets him apart. I want to know that when I pray to a big g God, the God who wants me to call him father, I want to know what makes him worthy of my prayers. What makes him worthy of my worship? A part of that is his holiness. I want to understand that you could do a study for the rest of your life on the holiness of God and never really come to grips with how holy he actually is. But there's a part of the story that is in front of us where the created beings, the creation acknowledges that God is holy, holy, holy. And that he's the Lord God Almighty. He is mighty, which means that when I pray to God, when I'm talking to God, no matter what I'm facing, I know that he is stronger than, he's more mighty, he's more powerful than the things that I'm facing, the things that I'm going to face. And so not only is he set apart, not only is he worthy of worship and worthy of my prayers and worthy of my praise, he's also more mighty, stronger, more powerful than anything that I'm going to present to him. So there's nothing that you walked in today with, nothing that I have going on in my life that is stronger than God, right? An often quoted passage of scripture, an often quoted thing. I mean, you see it, you see athletes point to this as kind of motivation for something, but greater is he who's in me than he that's in the world, right? This is the idea that the God that lives in me, the God that wants personal relationship with me is greater than anything that's going on in the world. There's nothing that I can face that's greater than him. And so we have this almighty God who's holy, holy, holy. And then John's revelation reveals that he was past tense. He is present tense and he is to come future tense. The Bible tells us that God is the same God yesterday, today and forever. It's in there. Look it up. It tells me that the power of God, the holiness of God is revealed to me prior to me showing up on earth, while I'm on earth, and should the story play out this way, long after I'm gone. You can also use it to mean this, that if God's power is evidenced in the stories that you read or hear from the past, that same power is available to you and I, and that same power will be demonstrated in the yet to come. God is a father. He's in heaven And his name should be revered. 
There's a quote that I want us to read together. It's from W.S. Bode, I believe. I looked for some pronunciation of his last name. That's the best I can do. If that's not right and you're offended, I'm so sorry. Write me an email. This is what it says. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. You know what the word omnipotence means? It means all-powerful. It means all-powerful, which tells me that prayer in this context and relating to how Jesus even sets us up to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are acknowledging from day one, from moment one, from word one of being able to pray to God, that we are weak and he is strong. That we are presenting our needs to him because we need him to help us. That we want to acknowledge him through worship and prayer. And we're acknowledging that he's omnipotent. He is all powerful. And all of this is important because when we know who it's to, we know what and how. We're praying usually because of the what of our lives. You thought about that? The how is usually determined by the what. Think about this. How urgently you pray usually depends on how big a deal the what is. Think about that. How I pray is usually determined by what's going on in my life. I pray very passionately and very urgently when I fear bad news. The what? The doctor called, wouldn't give me, it wasn't even the doctor. The doctor didn't take time to call me. The nurse called me and told me the doctor wanted to see me on Monday. I got to wait all stinking weekend to find out what the doctor wants to say. I don't know what he's going to say. But it scares me to death, and so I pray very passionately. I call people. I post it on Facebook. I want us to all how we pray. I want us to pray passionately. I want us to pray urgently. I want us to get through to God. Break through the heavens. I want the how is determined because I don't know what is going to happen. Right? The boss says there's an all staff meeting. There's going to be some restructuring. I don't know what's going to happen. But my how is very affected by that. Even in the good context. Right? I think I've said context like 40 times today. That's okay. Even in good things. I'm going to say context. It makes more sense. Even in good context. Right? I mean, we get something great to happen in our lives. If we're in the right place spiritually and emotionally, we pray with so much thanksgiving. I mean, the how is determined by the what here. And so it's like, woo, thank you, Jesus. Right? The how. Really excited, passionate, thanksgiving, worshipful prayers to God. Why? Because the what was good news. We prayed for God, for something to happen. We prayed, God, heal them. You know, help me find a job. Help me get more money. Help us find a house. Help my kids do this. Help us accomplish this. The what happens, and then the how follows that. But I think we've got it out of turn. Before I can pray what, and before the how is even determined, i got to know who I'm praying to. Why do you need to waste your time if the person you're praying to can't do anything for you? Why do you need to spend the time in prayer? Why do you need to really sit down or kneel down or take the moments to form the words? Why close your eyes? Why kneel beside your bed? Why teach your children to pray if you don't believe that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is who you're praying to? When you know the who, you know who it's to, you know the what and the how. Because here's what I would say. It doesn't matter what the what is or how the what is. 
if I know who, it's to. And so I think Jesus was really smart, if that doesn't insult him too much. I think he was really smart here. Because before he even gets into what we pray, he says, here's how you should pray. And the very first thing is who we're praying to. When you know the who, it's to. You know the what and the how. And this is not a Dr. Seuss book here. This is not Abin Costello. We don't know who's on first still. But when you know who, you know what and how. And here's the question that I want you to think about. And we're going to pray. Here's the question. How would your prayer life be different if you considered the who first? Usually my consideration for prayer is what is going on in my life. I got a test coming up. I got a thing happening. I got uncertainty. I got fear. I got anxiety. I got good things. I need to pray. But how would my prayer life be different? How would your prayer life be different if we considered the who first? Before I get to my needs, before I get to my wants, before I ask God for anything, I acknowledge who he is. Let me tell you how this changes your prayer life. It changes everything. I don't know how your home is set up. Corey and I, we have four kids. I reference that a lot. It's a big part of our story. My kids, when they want something, don't come to me. It's really sad. It breaks my heart. But I'm the no guy in our house. She's the yes woman, right? It's like, Dad, can we sleep downstairs? No, probably not going to do that tonight. Okay. And then later, they're on the couch. Like, I didn't even know how it happened. Like, they just went to Corey, and she didn't know I said no. She would never do that. I would never do that. We're a team. We're on team. But my kids are smart. They're smarter than me. And so they don't tell her that Dad's already said no. They go to Mom because she'll say yes, right? So here's what they figured out. They're smart. They're geniuses. They're smarter than your kids. Here's what they figured out. They're not. I'm just kidding. But kind of there are. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. They have figured out the magic formula. If they know what they want, they've already figured out who they go to in our house. And I think some of us, we're still praying. We're just throwing our what's up into the heavens. We're throwing the how's up into the heavens. And we've never figured out who. It could be as simple as really identifying your need for God in your life. Or it could be that you know you have God in your life, but there's a disconnect between who God is and who you're praying to, who I'm praying to. Because here's what I would promise you, and I've seen this to be true in my life, and sometimes I forget it when the what's and the how's are really, really overwhelming to me, or they come out of left field and I wasn't prepared for them. Sometimes I get overwhelmed and I start concentrating on the what's and the how's and all that. I forget the who. And when you know the who, it doesn't matter what or how you pray. It doesn't mean none of it's important. It is important. But when I know the who, when it's all started on who God is, that he's my father in heaven and he's holy, his name is to be reverenced. When I acknowledge that from day one, from point one, from moment one, it changes everything about the way I pray. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to think about the question that I just asked you. How would your prayer life be different If you thought about, if you knew who you were praying to, how would your prayer life be different? How would your prayer life be different if you knew the who? If you focused on him 
before you focused on what or how, how would it change? Sean's going to sing us a song. We're going to just kind of reflect and worship in this moment here as he sings this song. But here's what I, here's what I want us I, I want us not to just stare at him, okay? I want you just looking at the stage. I, I really want you reflecting in your heart. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be sitting down right down here. And I, in my heart, I mean, I was doing this even this morning early, but I, I, want, I want to think. I want to really reflect on this. I want to pray and ask God very personally for me. God, do I think about who I'm praying to before I think about what I want to pray about? Do I acknowledge you before the how is determined? It makes a difference. God, in this moment, help us to respond to you. Help us know the who. And when we know who it's to, we know the what and the how. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Father. God, there's a lot of people in this room who have a lot of things that they have been praying about, will be praying about in coming days prayed about in the last few minutes God ultimately I pray that for every single one of us we start our prayers with acknowledgement of who you are God you're our father you're in heaven you're holy you're timeless you're mighty and we pray to you it's not just a an act that carries no weight. We're we're seeking you, God. We're we're, we're praying to a God who can meet the needs we have, who is stronger than anything that we'll face, who was here before we were, who is here now, who will be here after we're gone, should the plan play out like that. And you're timeless, who was and is and is to come. Almighty God is holy, holy, holy. And yet... We're told to call you Father. And so God, I pray today that when we leave this place, when we're thinking about prayer, when we're praying, we know who it's to. Because when we know who it's to, we know the what and the how. Nothing is too big for you. The things that scare us don't scare you, God. And so, God, today, let us acknowledge you. I'm going to ask you to do this if you would. If you say, you know what, I got a, I got a need. I got a pretty big need. I got something I'm, I'm really been praying about, I'm going to be praying about in coming days. As you're talking today, I just need to acknowledge that God, he's, he's worthy of my prayers. He, he can resolve the needs. He can fix it. He can give me peace about the things that I'm uncertain about. There's sickness. We don't know how it's going to play out. There's financial needs. There's job stuff. There's family stuff. There's all kinds. Of, I, need, I need God to come through on my behalf. Would you just lift your hand? There's a lot of hands. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're comfortable, just stand right where you're at. If you lifted your hand, you've got a need today. I want you just to stand right where you're at. You can just stand. You're saying, I got some stuff I need God to do. I got some stuff I need God to come through on for me. Now, if you're around one of these people, if you would just maybe stand or maybe lay a hand on them, maybe move somewhere close. If you're comfortable with that, put an arm around them. 
We're going to pray together with these folks. We're going to seek out the God who wants us to acknowledge him as father, who we know to be in heaven, who's holy on their behalf. God, we thank you right now for this moment. I thank you for this group of people that stood and the people standing with them now. God, whatever they have need of, whatever it is they're facing, I pray right now, God, that they would acknowledge you. It's not an admission of of a lack of knowing you. Just they would acknowledge you. Even those that are believers need to know who you are and acknowledge who you are when they start this prayer to understand that you're a God who can meet the needs that they have in their life. God, they need a mighty and a strong and a powerful God to come through on their behalf. And so, God, we seek that in you. They need somebody with a different perspective than them to provide peace to them in the midst of uncertainty and fear and doubt. And so, God, today, I pray that they would see you as a God in heaven whose thoughts are higher than their thoughts, whose ways are higher than their ways. And they need to know that you're a God who can meet the need that they have, give them peace and assurance that they can't find on their own. And God, today, they need to know that you're set apart. You're not the same just random little G God that they can conjure up, but that you're a great God, big capital G, who was here before, who is here now, who will be here a timeless God that will be sung about for the ages to come as a God who was and is and is to come. God, you can be trusted with their prayers. And so, God, now I pray for family needs. I pray for physical health needs. I pray for financial needs. I pray for job needs. I pray, God, that their homes would be a place of rest, that their jobs would be a place of provision, God. I pray that their relationships would be one that honor you and just uplift them. We thank you, God. You're God that can be trusted. And God, we believe in you, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Help us when we pray to know who it's to, so we can know the what and the how. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for your prayer today.